Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our sermon series, Trending, we are talking about trending topics within our news media that really strike a chord with people in their hearts. The way we follow news media in our world today is by how many people are reading and sharing about a particular topic on social media. I'll be picking up on these trending topics and pulling them out to discuss how God's Spirit is operating through these events in our world. I hope you enjoy. And our first reading today is from Genesis chapter 1. Alex just can't leave it alone. (laughs) Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. So I want to take a moment before I get started today, a moment of personal reflection, if you don't mind, which is to say thank you all for sending the cards and the text messages and the emails and the voice messages. So many people reached out to me and to Courtney to say, you know, we're really sorry for what happened with your mother. And I want to tell you that it really made a huge difference for all of you who did that. It really helped a lot. I've always been on the other side of helping people in situations like this, the one who's been comforting other people. I've never been the one who had to be comforted, and I always wondered, would it actually make a difference? You know, all that stuff. And it really does. It makes a huge difference to know that you all were there and you cared enough to just take a little bit of time out of your day to say something and to let us know that you were thinking about us. Another thing that really helped, uh, I actually performed my mom's service. I was the one who did it. And uh, the day before the service, I was pretty drained from the whole week. It was uh, emotionally very exhausting. And I went that evening, Courtney and I, we listened to the God's Honest Truth, the storytelling night. I don't know how many of you came out to that but it was amazing to listen to. I mean, it really was truly amazing to hear what people had to say. And uh, people were vulnerable. They got up here and they told their stories. And I I hope we're going to send it around so that everybody here can listen to it. But these are your people in your congregation. I mean, they, this is, these are their lives and they were bringing it all out there in great ways. And that actually gave me the strength going into the next day to really do a good job because I was like, you know what? If they're willing to get up there and do that, I can do that for my mom. And it turned out great. It was a wonderful service. It really 
uh, was a good job of reflecting who she was, and it honored her in a great way. So thank you for everything. I'm really glad to be back here with you all. Uh, I've been missing being here, and I'm glad that we can get back to doing this sermon series, Trending, which we've been talking about this summer. So for those of you who haven't been here, let me just explain to you real quick what this is. Uh, Each week we're looking at various trending topics in social media, and we're trying to understand what is God saying to us through these topics that impact our lives. And what we do is we begin with the scripture uh, that's been prescribed by the lectionary. And for those of you who don't know what a lectionary is, it's basically just prescribed text for a given day. And today we are at Trinity Sunday. Now I know all of you knew that, right? Trinity Sunday, right? Because I know that after Easter and Christmas, Trinity Sunday is the most (laughs) celebrated day on the Christian calendar. When I see Trinity Sunday, I know the pews are going to be packed out because everybody's here looking forward to hearing about an abstract theological concept that nobody really understands very well. So in all my time of being here, I've never once spoken about the Trinity, and that's because I didn't want you to leave out of boredom. But today, I'm going to give it a shot because you all know I like a challenge, and I'm going to try to make it interesting for you. And I think it's important that I do it at least once. Maybe I'll do it again in the future, but at least once in my tenure here. So today we're going to talk about this, and I think in order to get into it, we need to ask a question, which is, what is the Trinity all about? Why does it matter? Why is it important? And in order to understand this question, we need to go back. I need to tell you about something that I was actually referring to a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about first century, the first century Christians. Now, a lot of these people who were Christians in the first century, these people were still very much a part of Judaism. So unlike today, Judaism and Christianity, are they the same religion today? No, they are not. They are two separate faiths, right? Well, at that time, they were still very much blended together, and there were certain people who were part of the synagogues. And the only thing that made them different as Jews was the fact that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, the most fundamental aspect of being a Jew is the belief in monotheism, which means what? It's a belief that there is only one God, right? Now, this differentiated Judaism from all the other surrounding cultures because everybody else, they believed in multiple gods and goddesses. They believed in multiple gods and goddesses, but they believed in one God. And they not only believed in one God, they believed that their God was greater than all the other gods, and they had the gall to suggest that their God was the only real God, that all your other gods didn't even exist. And then they said, our God is the creator of the universe, our God rules over the world, oh, and by the way, just so you know, our God has no physical image. Our God cannot be reduced to a statue or a figurine, which, if you look at that time, all the other cultures, they had all these statues everywhere, and, of course, this was very odd to them. They were like, why do the Jews, why do they do that? But clearly this one God thing, it meant a lot to them, didn't it? Very important to the Jews. So this brings us back to those Christians who are Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because something interesting begins to happen towards the end of the first century. Not only do they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, but they also believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, this idea that Jesus is God, it's been part of Christianity and the church for millennia. 
But what most Christians don't realize is that in the early years of the church, it was not universally accepted that Jesus was divine. This was debated among Christians. Now, the one thing that they all agreed about was that Jesus was the Messiah. All of them believed that to be true. But that word Messiah, what does it mean? It means anointed one, or it means king. So Jesus is going to be the ruler over God's kingdom. Now, from the Jewish perspective, and what was Jesus? Was Jesus Jewish? Yes, he was, as was his disciples, right? They were, the, his disciples were Jewish. They believed that the Messiah was going to be a normal human being who had been chosen by God to be God's instrument to rule over the world, okay? So a normal human being to be God's instrument to rule over the world. The Messiah had divine authority but was not divine himself. And this makes sense because if you're Jewish, remember, if you're Jewish, there is what? One God, and that God has what? No physical image. So about 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, though, this idea that Jesus is God becomes more prevalent in Christianity. It becomes something that Christians start to believe, and this is mostly due to one of the apostles, a man by the name of Paul. And so just imagine for a moment, you're a Jew, you're in the synagogues, you're worshiping, and then you start to say, hey, this guy Jesus, who we believe the Messiah, he's also God in the flesh. Now, as a Jew, how are you going to react to that? Probably not real well, right? Because your whole concept, the idea that God could be reduced to a human being, it just doesn't work for you as a Jewish person. And so many scholars, they have stated that one of the reasons why Christianity split off from Judaism is not so much because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but because they said Jesus was God. Jesus as God simply does not function in Judaism. So Christianity and Judaism, they split. So you with me so far? We're at the split. And one thing that, Jew, that Christianity wants to retain from their Jewish roots is the belief in monotheism, the belief in one God. And this is important because Jesus, what did I say he was? He's what? Jewish. Jewish. So that's important. This is why we have an Old Testament in our Christian Bible. You need to have that history in order to understand who Jesus is as a person. You cannot divorce Christianity from Judaism. In fact, Christianity's legitimacy, it depends on Judaism. Very, very important. Christianity legitimacy depends on Judaism, which of course presents us with kind of a problem. Because if Christians are claiming that Jesus is God, then how can Christians claim to be monotheistic? So, this is why the church eventually created the doctrine of the Trinity in order to deal with this issue. They wanted to maintain the monotheism of their Jewish roots while also maintaining the belief that Jesus is God. You with me so far? Okay. What's important for you to appreciate, though, is that in the early years of the church, they were not concerned with this idea of Trinity. Wasn't really on their radar. Wasn't important to them. And for proof of this, the doctrine of the Trinity was created in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. 325 AD. That's how long after Jesus' death and resurrection? Almost 300 years. That's a long time. 
So this raises a critical question for us. If the Trinity is so important, I mean, today's Trinity Sunday, right? So if it's so important, why did it take them so long to develop and form this idea? Well, there's a good reason for it. And that's that the Trinity, as developed by these theologians in 325 AD, does not actually really exist in the scriptures. So their definition that they came up with in 325 AD, they said, it's one God in three divine persons. But then they said the three persons are distinct, but are made of one substance or nature. Okay. So you, you all knew that already. I was just putting it up there so you all could see it, okay? Just so that we had it there. I know you all have that memorized. Okay. So that was their definition. But this definition, it doesn't really exist so well in the scriptures. And let me give you an example. It's, so from the lectionary, we read two scripture readings. One, as Judy pointed out, was from Genesis, which is one of my favorite scriptures, right? So it says in Genesis, this is the creation story, and it says... God's creating human beings. He says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Do you notice the plurals in there? Let us create or make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Who's God talking to? This is the beginning of Genesis. There's nobody there. Who's God speaking to right there? Hmm, very interesting, right? Okay, so there's a lot of different interpretations of this. A lot of different interpretations. One interpretation is, if you're a scholar of ancient texts, what you know is that this particular text was passed down orally by word of mouth for generations before it was actually written down. And in fact, it was produced before the Jews had the belief that their God was the only God. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, then God, Elohim in the Hebrew, is talking to the other gods and saying, hey, we're going to create humankind in our image. If you're a modern Jew, though, you read this. If you're somebody who's modern Jewish, you're in the synagogue today, you would sit there and say, no, 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 no. God is talking to the heavenly host or angels. Or if you're a Christian and you just developed the doctrine of the Trinity, well, then that's God the Father talking to the other members of the Trinity, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's a very elegant way of interpreting the scriptures. It really is a very elegant way of looking at things. Because during this creation story, right, you can sit there and you can say, well, God the Father is talking to Jesus, and so we as human beings, Jesus was human at one point, right, were literally made in Jesus' image. Very elegant way to do things. But it's not really reflective of what's in the scripture. Because in the scriptures, what we have is not a trinity so much as a triad. A triad. Now, what does that mean, a triad? A triad simply means a grouping of three. A grouping of three. So, the most famous triad is what we read from the Gospel of Matthew. So what does it say? Jesus, he sends people out, his disciples out, and he says, go out and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, as Christians, what do we do? We look at that and we say, hey, that's Trinity, isn't it? Come on, Alex. It's Trinity. It's right there, plain and simple. But here's why it's not Trinity. I don't mean to burst your bubble. But it's a triad. It's a grouping of three. Because Trinity is really about the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Trinity is about, the relationship. This is a grouping of three. This scripture does not tell us anything about their relationship to one another. They've just been grouped together. 
So, clearly, for the early Christians, this grouping meant something to them, right? The question is, what did it mean? Because I don't really think it's what they came up with in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, but it's also not three separate gods. So if you go back and you start looking at all these early Christian texts, you start kind of scanning through them, what you find is that most Christians believed that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that these were forms or modes of God. So there's one God, but God manifests God's self through these various forms or modes. So let me give you an example. The Father is how you experience God in heaven. The Son is how you experience God in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is how you experience God in the world. It's all God. You're just experiencing God in different ways. Are you with me so far? So far, so good? Okay. Now, we're going to take a step back and ask a question. It's a very important question. I know it's a question that every single person in the choir has been asking up to this point, which is, who cares? <laughs> Honestly, like, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? A triad or a trinity? Like, honestly, not gonna, it hasn't changed my life up to now. It's probably not going to change my life in the future. And I understand why you'd feel that way, choir. I understand. But it actually does make a difference. But you just haven't realized how it does make a difference in your life. So the trinity is a really complicated theological concept that was produced by theologians in order to preserve monotheism. The triad serves a very different purpose. The triad is there to help you as a Christian understand and appreciate that God is everywhere and in everything. There is nowhere you can go in this universe or beyond this universe where God doesn't exist. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God's got it all covered. So in your deepest, darkest, moments. When you think that nobody cares, nobody's there for you, and nobody sees your suffering, that's not true. God sees your suffering. God knows what you're going through. And so when people walk by you, and they're just living their lives, and they're ignorant of the pain that you feel in your heart, you need to know that God sees you, and God is right there for you, and God is going to suffer right alongside you. So why does it matter? It matters because the difference between God being some abstract theological concept that you don't understand and God being right there next to you is the difference between life and death for some people. When life has crushed your spirit and you don't feel you have anywhere else that you can go, believing that God is by your side is sometimes the only thing that can keep you going. So does it matter? Oh, it very definitely does. Because your understanding of God, it impacts how you live your life, particularly in the darkest moments of when you are facing those things that you never thought that you could get through. So this is what I started looking for when I was perusing social media. I asked myself a question, is there some topic, is there some issue out there that I could find that feels a little bit irrelevant, right? Like somewhat irrelevant, but then depending on how you look at it, if you just change it a little bit, just like the Trinity and the Triad, it can change the way you live your life. 
and I found something in a very odd place. I was looking through and I clicked on one of the top of the news feeds was this Microsoft Build conference. Never heard of it before. Had no idea what it was. Have you ever, ever heard of Microsoft Build? Probably you haven't, right? Okay, so Microsoft Build is a conference every year that Microsoft holds where they talk about the future of the tech industry. And if you click on it, you see these headlines with things that say things like bots in Bing search results. Microsoft search engine will now include bots as part of search results. Or how about this one? Microsoft introduces Azure Cosmos DB, a new database for developers running cloud-based apps that provide more options for optimal app performance. Riveting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> as I was scanning through this, I thought to myself, this is clearly for software developers and coding geeks who probably think this is very, very important. But to 99% of us, doesn't really matter. And I was about to click off the page. I was going to look elsewhere, because clearly this is way too irrelevant for what I was trying to find, when I saw something that caught my eye. And it said, Emma's watch for Parkinson's. I was like, hmm, what is this? So I click on it. And when I get in there, I read this amazing article about this woman named Haiyan Zhang, who works over in the UK for one of Microsoft's research development team. And she has produced a watch or a band that Parkinson's patients can wear that will help steady their hand tremors. I want to show you the video that they played at the Microsoft conference so that you can see what it is that they've done to put this together. All right, I'm going to try and replicate this here. We're off to a great start. I tend to kind of just avoid doing sketching and writing now because it's just, it's not really worth it if you get something like that. Anything you could do that would just make my hand do what I want it to do and yeah. to be able to sign yeah. my name would be an incredible thing. How do we even just begin to help her overcome this this particular symptom of her tremors and helping her be able to regain her writing ability, her drawing ability. You know, I don't think we're ever going to get that back 100%. You know, my challenge is, is uh, I mean, it's immense. Someone's made a spoon. It actually counteracts the tremors you get from Parkinson's. So the spoon actually right. vibrates in opposition to how your hand might be shaking, and it's therefore it is steady. I'm making a, a very rough prototype. And what this board does is I can connect into it through these wires, these tiny coin cell motors. So these motors will vibrate. Hello. Hi, I'm Alison. It's affecting something. I don't quite know what's happening. Something is going on with it. What this is doing is it's short-circuiting whatever feedback loop there is between the brain and the hand that's causing the tremors. I'm on to something, right? I'm on to something.
Oh my god. <laughs> It makes me forget that I have a tremor. <laughs> I haven't drawn one of them for a long time. <laughs> I'm so casual about it. Yeah, I'm just gonna draw a straight line. I've actually just written my name for like the first time in ages. I can't believe it. Mum, it's called the Emma. It's got my name on it. <laughs> now, how cool is that, huh? That's a pretty amazing thing. 10 million people worldwide suffer from Parkinson's, and every year there are 60,000 new cases diagnosed in the U.S. alone. If you all know anyone who has Parkinson's, or if you have Parkinson's yourself, you know just how devastating this disease can be. Parkinson's disease is a degenerative disorder that progressively goes through the neurons and the nerves deep inside of your brain. And what it does is it disrupts the neurotransmitter dopamine from being able to send signals to your brain to control body movement, and that's why people with Parkinson's have tremors. To this point, the medications that they have for Parkinson's are fairly limited because what they have to do is they're trying to up the amount of dopamine that's in your brain to compensate for how the disease is getting rid of it. And this medicine, it can do some good things for a while, but it has limitations. One big limitation that it has is that it diminishes its effectiveness over time because the nerve cells, they still die off. It doesn't prevent that from happening. And then Secondly, there are some side effects that come along with this. For instance, there was a drug that was produced in the early 90s that transformed people's lives. It actually gave them back all their functionality. But a number of these people developed gambling addictions as a result of this because their dopamine levels were upped so much that it actually turned them into addicts, which dopamine is, of course, the same part of your brain that deals with addiction. So they had to take this off the market because people were literally losing their fortunes because they were going out and they had never gambled before or had a problem with it, and now they did. So when I saw this watch, I thought to myself, my goodness, this is the beginning of something amazing because even if you are dealing with Parkinson's and the drugs are not working for you, then you can still have a quality of life thanks to these machines that they are creating. And that's when I realized that this Microsoft Build Conference, it's a lot like our discussion of the Trinity. On the outside of it, it feels very esoteric, like it doesn't have much to do with us. But then when you dig down deep into it and you look at it from a different perspective, you realize that actually these people are trying to change the world for the better. And they're doing so in amazing ways. I find it to be incredible that a software company is investing these types of resources to solve problems for a segment of our population that is often totally and completely forgotten. When you are given a diagnosis of Parkinson's, that is a dark day because you don't know how long it's going to last, you don't know how long you're going to have that functionality, and you don't know what the end of it's going to be except for the fact that you know that it's going to take your life eventually. It's a very hopeless kind of diagnosis. But it's amazing to me that at a conference like this, you find 
people who are dedicating their lives to solving these really challenging problems so that they can give hope to people who are hopeless. It's kind of like this concept of the triad that I just talked about. It's like they're sitting there saying, we see your suffering, we know what you're going through, and we're going to do our best to be there for you and to help you through this to the other side. And so if there's anything that I feel that the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, through this Scripture, and this particular trending topic, it's this. That God is there for us in the midst of our suffering. God will always be there for us. But God also expects us to be there for those people who are struggling. We cannot simply check out and say, you know what, you're going through that, I'm sorry, that stinks, see you later. We have to be there for those people who are struggling, who feel lost and abandoned. We need to be looking for those people around us who need our presence so that, like God, we can be next to them and walk with them through those dark, lonely, tough times. I can tell you what you all did for me was huge. Those of you who just said, you know, I know you're going through this. I know it's a hard time, but it meant the world to me and to Courtney because it meant that I knew that I had somebody who was right there with me, and it felt like that was God's presence next to me. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would have the eyes to see those people around you who are struggling and need God's presence. There are so many people who simply need someone to sit there and say to them, I see that you're suffering, and you don't have to go through this alone. When life has crushed your spirits, and you feel you have nowhere else to go, having someone at your side is what can make it bearable enough so that you can actually get through it. And so when you find somebody, because everybody has them, there's not a single person in here who doesn't have people like that in their lives, be with them, walk with them, and show them the love that God has shown you. And if you wonder, is what I'm doing making any difference? Am I totally irrelevant? That is the moment when you are making a difference. That is the moment when you are changing the world for the better. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.